Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doug? I'm good. I've been immersed in some Stanford study over here, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I, some of the my first initial uh, just thoughts about them, I, I think maybe I've changed my mind about a few things, uh, and we'll get into that obviously today. But uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about this and excited to go down the game and watch uh, watch it in person again this weekend. Yeah, I uh, I would agree a little bit. I haven't had quite as much time as I normally would or I'd like to 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 dig into Stanford, but. Um, I I watched about the first half of their Washington game. I watched a, a substantial part of the USC game live, and um, I, I already kind of knew their personnel coming into the year. So I feel pretty good about about where we're at with Stanford. So whenever you're ready, let's uh, let's get into them. Yeah, and then uh, after the preview, of course, we'll uh, we'll touch on all the other Pac-12 games, make our picks against the spread there. Hopefully, we'll both bounce back from our abysmal uh, performances last week. And we also have eight games, seven games from around the country we will pick as well. So, and then we'll finish it all off with listener questions. So you want to stick around for that. We got some really good questions to from some of our great listeners today. And again, appreciate all the reviews. I think we have 4.9 reviews on both Spotify and Apple. So appreciate all of you leaving the five-star reviews. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. From the bottom of our heart, we really, really appreciate the, the support. All right. Well, let's get into Stanford. Um, Let's. I, I want to start with the Oregon offense versus the Stanford defense. Absolutely. So, I, watching film on this on the Stanford defense, it's weird because there's some some high end talent kind of sprinkled throughout, but it's just so sparsely uh, populated. And I think that there's so many depth concerns that it doesn't really show up in any substantive way other than one off plays. What, what were your thoughts on the Stanford defense? I mean, it's it's atrocious is my my initial thought. I, I just was charting uh, the game so against USC and uh, throw out Colgate. I don't I don't consider FCS games at all for anybody win or lose. Um, but uh, against USC, the USC drives were touchdown, 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 field goal, missed field goal, field goal, and then it was garbage time. Uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, and that wasn't much better against Washington. Uh, the Washington drives uh, to start that game were touchdown, field goal, punt, touchdown, punt, field goal, touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. So out of 18 non-garbage time possessions, there was 16 scoring opportunities and only two punts. Uh, that's just not going to get it done. No, no. As a unit, they're they're horrible. Um, but there's a few players that I think that are worth highlighting because they're capable of making a play individually on any snap. Um, Caillou Blue Kelly at corner, I would say he's probably a top three or four corner in the league right now, probably right up there with uh, Christian Gonzalez uh, and Clark Phillips. Uh, they've got Patrick Fields, who's a transfer, uh, one of the rare transfers that Stanford's actually able to take. Uh, came in from Oklahoma this offseason, was a two-time All-Big 12 player, like three- or four-year starter at, at um, Oklahoma. He's a really solid player. He plays in the nickel for them. Uh, and then there's two guys in the front seven, although one of them I'm not sure if he's going to be healthy enough to play. Um, the first one is true freshman David Bailey. If you follow Oregon recruiting all at all, you'd be familiar with him. He's a true freshman out of Modern Day High School in Southern California. He's an edge player that flashes some really good ability. Um, I'm, I'm not really all that concerned with him against our tackles, just given the experience and quality that we have at that position. 
but he's a, he's a player worth watching. And then on the other side, Stefan Heron, um, who's been a little banged up this year uh, in and out of the lineup. He's been a pretty solid contributor for multiple years. But outside of that, this is a unit that's really devoid of talent and unbelievably thin, specifically in the front, uh, on the interior of the front, where they only have three scholarship players. Yeah, I think Washington and USC both were able to to get whatever they want, um, whatever they wanted. I mean, it was by far Washington's best rushing game of the year. Talapapa went went for 120 yards. I think a lot of that was later in the game once it was was out of control. But still, uh, you know, Washington ran for 169 total, and and USC was able to put up 164 with with Travis Dye leading the way with with 105 on only 14 carries. So. Uh, they're 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 just not able to get enough stop uh, on the, in the running game, and then uh, and then of course they they just kind of got picked apart by both Caleb Williams and and uh, Michael Penix in the passing game. So it just feels like they're they're just an all around poor defense. Like you said, I think they're thin at a lot of positions. They have individual players here or there, but not nearly enough of them, and not nearly you know enough working together. No, I mean, all these, like, the guys that I mentioned would all be players that could play for anybody in this conference. The problem is, is that you, they can't play one on 11. Um, and so really what you run into is a situation where as the season rolls on and injuries compile for a team that had their bye week in week two, or week three, I apologize. Yeah. So, like, they don't have another bye for the rest of the season. Like, they're playing, Washington was the first of 10 straight games that they're going to play here to end the year. Um, I don't think that this is a team that's going to make a bowl, so uh, that'll probably be all of the games they play. But they, uh, it's going to be rough going for a team with this t- this kind of lack of depth and talent. Yeah, nine conference games and uh, and Notre Dame. So yeah, good luck Stanford. Uh, I think you're going to need it. You know, the other thing is the defense hasn't gotten a takeaway against either either of the Power Five teams they've played. Uh, they've played so that they're not helping themselves there either, right? If you're if you're a poor defense. You know, at least if you can get some takeaways, you you have a chance to to make some things happen. You know, I think I think we're seeing that a little bit with USC, right? Their takeaway margin is insane um, this year, and I think it's making up for the fact that their defense is is probably I don't think they're as bad as Stanford's defense, but they're certainly average at best. But they're making up for it with incredible takeaway luck, and and Stanford has no takeaway luck at all. So it's just it, it, they're just. I, I'm, you know, flipping over to how Oregon can do against this defense. It just feels like, man, Oregon should be able to get whatever they want. Um, you know, as long as they're not shooting themselves in the foot. And we certainly saw some of that against the Cougars last week in Pullman, particularly in the first half in the deep red zone. But I mean, the way Oregon has been moving the ball at will on, on both BYU and, and Washington state, it, it seems Hard to believe they're not going to be able to repeat those performances back at home in Autzen and be able to to move the ball both through the air and through the ground, and it's just a matter of okay, taking care of the football and punching it in once you get down there. Yeah, no, I agree. This, like, I think, going into the last couple of weeks, we've had pretty clear idea of like what what the easiest matchup to exploit would be. I think Oregon can kind of have what they want. So this this strikes me as a game where Oregon can be balanced. Um, and really ride the run game because a team with this kind of lack of depth and just lack of bodies, I mean, we're talking three scholarship players on the interior defensive line. There's just not bodies to rotate. So why wouldn't you lean on them and batter them up a little bit? Because uh, all that does is create really big seams in the play-action passing game and the RPO and the screen game. 
Um, and this is a team that's really, really poor at interior linebacker as well. So um, I, I don't – if Oregon gets stopped in this game, it's because Oregon's not executing at a high level. I don't really see Stanford's defense providing um, a whole lot of resistance given their performances so far this year. Yeah, I'm with you there. If I was Oregon, I would I would certainly attack them in the run game early and often, particularly up the middle, um, and then soften them up, make force them to bring down some extra defenders, and then, like you said, hit him with the play action, hit him over the top. Especially if you're able to build, you know, a couple of possession lead, then you can really open up the playbook and and try to try to stretch it out, you know, into into the twenty plus range. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. <laughs> talk about Oregon's defense versus Stanford's offense and this is where I think I'm I'm feeling a better about Stanford on offense than I was you know, before I started my study what do you think so I like Stanford's skill talent overall um I I really like I really like Casey Filkins I know EJ Smith is out for the year frankly I don't know that there's as much drop off as the Stanford coaching staff is indicating that there is between those two guys Casey Filkins is, is a, is a uh, talented guy. He's multidimensional. You can throw him the ball to the backfield. He returns kicks and punts. Um, he, he could run the ball as a true running back. He's got pretty decent size. He had a solid week last week against Washington, 20 carries for 100 yards, five-yard average flat. Um, also provided some, some, some return game for him. I think he's kind of the only back that they have left at this point. I know that they've talked about giving – kind of working some other guys into a rotation. But it seemed going into the season that they were pretty dead set on Smith and Philkins being the one-two punch. And now with Smith out for the season, um, they're going to ride Philkins like they've rode individual backs going back a decade plus. Um, the receiver room is interesting. I, there's no one in this room that I'm worried about running away from us, but they have a ton of size. Um, whether it's Michael Wilson or it's Elijah Higgins or John Humphreys, or the tight end, uh, Benjamin Yersick, uh, or Bryson Tremaine. Like, they've got a bunch of guys between 6'3 and 6'5. Um, they're all more possession-type receivers. And as we know, we've all seen the, uh, the Stanford fade against Oregon be very successful play over the years where they just have these big-bodied receivers like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside or one of their tight ends, Zach Ertz go out and basically box out one of our smaller defensive backs on the perimeter. Um, this this is a, a matchup that's been a challenge traditionally that I actually think is a really good matchup for us now, just given how much longer and bigger we are in the secondary than we've been traditionally. Just going across the group, uh, Brian, Brian Addison at free safety is 6'4", Gonzalez is 6'2", uh, Bridges is 6'3", and this is a game where it's like, his biggest issue is in transition against smaller, faster guys. I don't know that these guys are athletic enough to really beat him in transition in any meaningful way. And he's going to be big enough and strong enough to challenge him at the catch point um, in these contested situations. So uh, what what is a group that is interesting in a lot of ways and I think provides unique challenges to a lot of secondaries in this conference, I actually think it's a really ideal matchup for us. Um, moving over to uh, the quarterback position, Tanner McKee, He's been he he makes a lot of really impressive NFL quality throws. The biggest issue I have with him is that he's just completely immobile. Like he is stuck wherever you put him. He he doesn't move his platform particularly well. Um and he's a very stationary target for your pass rush to tee off on unlike every quarterback we've played to this point this season that's been a, been able to uh 
take advantage of maybe some poor angles and some bad tackling and create extra yards and escape the pocket. I think that McKee is going to be very stationary for us. Yeah, he's been sacked 13 times in two games, uh, five against USC and eight against Washington last week. And and honestly, I, I I think this offense has a lot going for it. I mean, if you adjust if you adjust for sacks and scrambles, they averaged over five yards a carry against both USC and Washington in the run game. Uh, McKee's passing game, he certainly is, is, like you said, he makes all the NFL throws. He, he has made a lot of plays in both of those games. I think the two things that are just killing them offensively are – that those sacks and his immobility and certainly he's guilty you know he's the guilt not that not that the, it's not the offensive line doesn't share part of the blame but his own immobility is certainly contributing to that that sack total and then turnovers they have seven turnovers in those two games uh, four against USC three against Washington and and they got no takeaways right so you know three and a half three and a half net net minus in turnovers in two games is it, it took two games that you know, look at, you know, when you look at them and the drive charts, like without the turnovers, those games might've been competitive, certainly the USC game. Um, and you're, they're just killing themselves that, you know, you know, look at their drives against USC to start the game, 14 yards and an interception, 73 yards and an interception, 93 yard touchdown drive, 73 yards and a fumble, 67 yards and a touchdown. I, I mean, that, that's a good, full, that's a good five drive sequence to start the game outside of the three turnovers. Right. And, and then against Washington, OK, they go three and out on the first drive. Then they go 59 yards, throw a pick, 37 yards, punt from plus territory, fumble on the first play of their next possession, 75 yard touchdown, 19 yards, uh, turn it over because they can't convert a fourth and one on a quarterback sneak, 75 yard touchdown and then a fumble. All right. I mean, they're moving the ball They're you know, before garbage time, they're making plays They're just they're just killing themselves with the sacks and the turnovers. Yeah. So there's two things with with the interceptions. I think that a lot of the interceptions have been kind of bad luck, but there there is a component of you're talking about bigger receivers who don't create a ton of separation throughout the route. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for tip balls against these guys, and USC made all of their money on tip balls, whereas with Washington, the primary turnovers were sack fumbles against a quarterback that yeah. – is unable to escape, and they, they're doing. And the third one was a tip ball, so they had they had a tip ball and two sack, two strip sacks. Yeah, exactly. And so the the third piece to this is they've added the Wake Forest like slow mesh, which is just a super slow developing RPO that works a third level defender uh, on the defensive end. So it's a it's a it's a deeper, longer developing RPO where the mesh can last two plus seconds. Um, the problem with that is that the easiest way to defeat that long mesh is with penetration. Um, and with both their starting tackles out last week against Washington, uh, they were giving up a lot of pressure on basically kind of like little inside moves against the tackles. Um, and it, it was kind of blowing up that mesh play for them. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, the, my biggest problem with this offense is, is less so the components at the skill positions. It's the competence of the depth on the offensive line. Um, and it's the fact that because of how immobile the quarterback is, despite his arm talent, it makes them extremely straightforward to defend. Like there's no, you don't, in, in the way that we've had to worry and plan for maintaining contain and um, keeping, keeping rush discipline in regards to our gap integrity over the last four weeks, we don't have to worry about that at all this weekend. And, and that creates a lot of freedom for defensive coordinators and for defensive lines to get after McKee. 
um, especially if you can get up on them because their defense is so poor it can make them very one-dimensional. Um, and, and that's why I think partially their run numbers are so good is because they've been playing from behind, and so teams are just kind of keeping things in front and giving larger cushion and, small, and, and lighter boxes. Yeah, I, I like conceptually. I like some aspects of that slow mesh, but it just makes no sense to run it with a quarterback like McKee. I, they, like he's no, he, they know he's not going to pull it and run, right? Right? It's an RPO only, uh, and it, it it just would work so much better with a quarterback who had some mobility. The problem, I mean, the reason that they're running it right is because they're trying to regain a numbers advantage in the box that the Stanford offense traditionally hasn't had just because they, they've they always had the, the, the mentality that they could line up and run the ball and just beat you, like even, even against disadvantaged numbers. Um, and so this is kind of their way of regaining a number despite the fact that they don't have the athlete to do a zone read or to threaten, threaten a second-level defender in a different way. Um, and so I understand why they're doing it philosophically. It makes a lot of sense, and I'm actually glad to see the Stanford offensive staff trying – to do something like this and to modernize, I just worried that it's going to get their quarterback killed because if you can't stop penetration, it doesn't work at all because you're just going to be getting hit in the backfield over and over again. Yeah, I mean, thir- like they said, those 13 sacks in two games and who knows how many more hits he took. And, and, and a lot of those sacks against Washington were just brutal. I mean, just blindside, you know, strip sack, hard hits like that. Yeah, I mean, your quarterback's not going to remain upright throughout the season if he te- keeps taking that much abuse. Yeah, so I'm interested to see, like, especially at the safety position, how do we match up with this big group of receivers and tight ends? They've done some fun stuff with the tight end, even uh, utilizing him on end around against USC. Um, I think that the interior of the offensive line, when it's healthy, is okay. I don't know that they're going to have either of their starting tackles back this weekend, though. Uh, I think this is a game where we can finally see Braden Swinson's snap count increase, especially given the fact that DJ Johnson's appeal was denied, um, and so he'll have to sit out the first half of the of the Stanford game with the targeting foul from the second half of the Wazoo game a week ago. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a game that really sets should set up well for Oregon. But let's talk about that. What do you think some keys are if if Stanford is to win this game? How do they do it? They're unbelievably efficient with the ball. Um, they score on a very they score touchdowns on a high percentage of their drives, which means that McKee is going to have to be extremely accurate. They're going to have to really make a lot of plays on the exterior. Um, the contested catches are going to have to come in bunches. Uh, and, and they're going to have to really step up on the offensive line because Oregon's defensive line is the best one that they've seen to this point. Yeah, I'd add to that. I think they're going to have to be at least plus two in turnovers if to come away with a win. I think they got to get plus two in turnovers. They might need a special team score uh, or, or a defensive score or something like that in order for them to win this game against Oregon. I, I think there's going to need to be a, a pretty significant level of chaos for them to, to somehow win. Yeah, and it seems pretty evident that David Shaw knows that. If you watch his press conference from the end of the Washington game and even going into the Oregon game here with his weekly press conference, he talks a lot about the offense scoring to help the defense. Like I don't, I don't think that they have a lot of confidence as a staff and their defense's ability to rise to the occasion and give them any more than a, a couple, like lucking into a couple stops a game. And so they, they know that offensively they need to be cooking and cooking early to keep themselves in these games and be competitive. Yeah, I agree. And and I think there's, you know, there's a lot on film of Oregon, especially from that Washington game of things that 
that worked against this defense. So, you know, they got to think, okay, we can go out. If we can go after Oregon, you know, put some drives together, get some points on the board, at least keep pace. Then, you know, who knows what happens after that. There's just so much schematically though, that Washington state has, and even BYU has that Stanford doesn't carry from an inventory standpoint. Like this is despite the fact that they've, they've modernized and they're doing some things like the slow mesh to kind of, um, add some add some versatility to this offense it's still very straightforward to defend like this is as standard of a football game um as we probably have on our schedule schematically other than maybe Cal um with Bill Musgrave like they just they play football in a very straightforward manner offensively whereas uh Washington State understands their talent disadvantage and they they really they they do a good job and they put a lot of effort into um scheming looks for their quarterback yeah, I mean, Washington State's offense was certainly built and devised to kind of go at the areas where Oregon has struggled this year, whereas, like you said, Stanford is is really built to come at at Oregon's strengths. So I, it's a it's a bad matchup for them. I, I also wonder if maybe they don't pull out some trick plays like we saw the Cougars do last week to try to get some free points. Um, yeah, and I way. think if you're Oregon going forward, like you have to be vigilant for that. You have to have good eye discipline, especially in the back half of the defense, because um, I I think a lot of teams are gonna really try to bring that stuff out to get to get free points or free chunk plays here and there because running the ball is not has proven to be a pretty futile thing against this Oregon front. Let's flip over to the other side. What are the keys for Oregon to win this game? I think they just need to play efficient offense. I I don't if Oregon just executes at the same level that they've been executing between the twenties, um, and they can kind of move past the first half red zone performance from a week ago. And I really think this is a much easier defense to score on in the red zone, just given the fact how, how thin and untalented they are in the front seven. I think that just being efficient offensively, owning the ball, not turning it over, um, gives you a really long runway in this game. I mean, Vegas agrees Oregon's favored by 17 points. Um, this is a game where Oregon is really going to have to do a lot of things wrong more so than, than Stanford's going to force them into mistakes. Yeah, I tend to agree. Like I said, I, I think Oregon would have to, uh, the keys to Oregon winning are, you know, taking care of the football, finishing drives and, you know, just not blowing yourself up with, with stupid penalties, stupid plays, you know, boneheaded mistakes, you know, those kind of things. And we've certainly seen some of those things uh, afflict Oregon, this year and even last year as well. So, you know, I, but I think you need a lot of those things, right? I mean, one, one bad drive of penalties isn't, isn't going to do it. It's probably going to take multiple things going wrong. So Oregon just has to play smart, be efficient, finish their drives. Don't turn the ball over. And, and it should be a comfortable win. Yeah. The way I look at this game is if Oregon can come out and have similar offensive first halves that they've had the last three weeks, um, while also kind of make, cleaning up some of the, the messy mistakes and the tackling from a week ago, which, again, I think that tackling the Stanford team is much easier. I, they, don't, they don't have a lot of real dynamic athletes on the edge. They're, they're bigger, stronger, more muscle-bound guys. I, I think that if Oregon can get, get a stop or two on the first three possessions of Stanford, this game could be put away pretty early. Uh, that that's what you're looking for if you're Dan Lanning and this Oregon staff is to to jump quick, jump out on these guys quick, execute offensively with your possessions because you could you could very easily have them at a two or three score de- deficit 
uh, midway through the second quarter if things are going or things are going the right direction for you. Yeah, and you got to think that's uh, that's what they're hoping to do. Any final thoughts on this matchup? No, I just it sucks. It feels like a missed opportunity. If the Stanford offensive line was a little better, and maybe they have a Stanford defense of five or six years ago, this could be a pretty dangerous Stanford team because um, I think that they're good at receiver. I think that they're good at quarterback, and with both Smith and Philkins, they have some talent at running back that they necessarily didn't have through some of those years where they were running with Cameron, uh, Cameron Scarlett or uh, the Pete kid who's now at, at Missouri. Like They've got some higher-end skill talent that they haven't had necessarily the last few years, and um, it, it's just a shame that they don't they have no defense to play with. So, QB, uh, Stanford has lost nine straight games against FBS competition dating back to the middle of the last season. And, of course, you know who their last victory was in the FBS. Yes, and I don't think that we're going to let them off the hook for that one. No, I don't either. I think there's some Ducks who have this game circled uh, among among some others that are coming later this year. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't see – this Oregon team is just so much more – effective offensively and dynamic offensively than than last year's team uh you know able to pass the ball downfield able to be you know attack teams in in multiple dimensions in multiple ways much last year's Oregon offense was very efficient but it was also very you know one-dimensional in a lot of ways so once teams like Utah were able to shut down that dimension we saw what happened this year's team is is I don't think has those same challenges going against them on offense yeah i agree i think last year i mean thinking back to that offensive performance like it came down to a couple really bonehead plays um by oregon offensively but it, we still only scored like 20 something points 24 yeah like i i think we'll be over that in the first half of this game i i would tend to agree i mean that's been the pattern this year i mean we outside of the georgia game you know we were over certainly over that in the next two and and the game flow of last game, you know, would have indicated that we would have gone over over twenty as well outside of the the awful red zone, but over four in the red zone, um, you know. So I would agree. I, I think that's true. Excellent. All right, let's move on to our picks. All right, I guess I'll go first here. So the first matchup is, I think it's natural to start with this Oregon game. Um, Stanford at Oregon, Oregon's favored by 17 points at home. I'm taking Oregon to cover here. Um, I, I just don't trust. I think that there's a lot of pressure on this Stanford offense to keep up and to score points. And that's part of what's contributing to their turnovers, especially later in games. Um, so I think that Stanford turns the ball over a time or two, probably later, late second quarter, maybe the third quarter. Um, and that and that creates an opportunity for Oregon to get up by multiple scores and kind of put this thing away and get into garbage time. I am pretty certain I'm going to regret this pick. Um, my heart says I should take Oregon and lay the points, but I don't know. I just I have a weird feeling that Stanford's going to do just enough, you know, first three quarters to stay within you know 20 points, and then maybe they get a late touchdown to get a backdoor cover at the end of the game and make it you know. A, 16 point win or a 15 point win. So I'm going to take Stanford, but I don't feel great about it for multiple reasons. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that pick. 
Uh, all right, moving on. Let's go. Uh, the, to me, what I think is certainly one of the two best games in the conference this week, and one I'm really interested to watch. I think it's just a fascinating matchup. Uh, the California Bears, fresh off their their 48 point explosion at home against Arizona, are traveling up to the Palouse to take on the Cougars, who are a four point home favorite. I yeah, guess I gotta pick this one first. Yeah, go for it. Um, I, I'm really, like I said, I'm really fascinated to watch this game. Is California's newfound offensive explosion real, or is it a product of you know something Arizona's defense not being good and maybe some some other one-off things, or or was that a mirage? And then also, how do the Cougars bounce back from you know really that heartbreaking loss you know at home to Oregon last week? Um, I, I'm really interested to watch this matchup. I think I like the Cougars, though. I, I think they're going to bounce back. I think their offense is going to do enough. I think Cam Ward is is starting to find a rhythm, um, you know, in this level of play. And I think California is going to fall back to earth a little bit on defense. I certainly don't think Jaden Knott's going to be able to run for 275 yards again. Um, so I'm going to take the Cougars and uh, to cover. Yeah, I'm taking Washington State as well for some of the same reasons. I think that Washington State's the better coach team. Um, I I don't, I still don't think the Washington State offense is particularly good, uh, but their defense is, and I think that they're gonna for in terms of matchups, Cal on the outside with Plummer throwing the ball. I I don't know that they're gonna be able to exploit the safeties in the same way that we were able to last week. Um, and I think that the Washington State front is gonna give a lot of different looks and prevent and cause problems. Um, and a lot of negative plays for a Cal run game that exploded in, in what I think is going to end up looking like a one-off performance. Um, I think Jade Knott's a talented player. I, I like um, some of the other pieces on this on this Cal offense, but I just think that Washington State overall is a better coach team and playing on the Palouse, I don't think they're going to go and lose back-to-back games at home. All right. You got the next one. Perfect. So we'll be uh, heading out to Utah here. Uh, we have Oregon State going on the road to take on Utah. Utah's favored by 10.5 points at home. Uh, I'm going to be taking Utah on this. Now, if Oregon State covers, it's going to give me a little bit of a different perspective on Oregon State going forward. Uh, but Utah at home at Rice-Eccles, they don't lose games there particularly, uh, especially the teams that they're more talented than. They're favored by 10.5 points for a reason. I, I think that... Their offense is built in a way, and, and Cam Rising is the type of quarterback that will absolutely just bludgeon this Oregon State front, um, and he'll be able to pick pick apart the Oregon State zone defenses in a way that um, it was very interesting to see Caleb, Caleb Williams struggle to get through his progressions against zone last week. Um, I, I would anticipate that Utah um, Utah defensively is going to pick off Chance Nolan a couple times given that he's been uh, very he's been a very frequent uh, customer at the turnover diner uh through through four weeks of this season uh Utah opportunistic defense i think they'll be able to sit on the run better than USC did a week ago i think i think Utah wins this game something like 34 to 20 yeah, I'm going to go with Utah as well. I, I think Chance Nolan has been very generous to his opponents, and uh, he's on the road in a very hostile environment. I think Utah wants some revenge from their loss at Oregon State last year, and this Beaver team does not run the football like last year, like the last several years at all. And that was what what they were able to do to Utah last year, and I just I just don't see that happening again. I think 
if if Oregon State were somehow to cover this, I think it's going to change my ref- impressions, not only on Oregon State, but also on Utah, probably. Um, but I think Utah is just a much better team. I think I like your margin. It's probably in the two touchdown, you know, to 17 point range. Uh, so I like Utah in this one as well. And that will take us to <laughs> Colorado at Arizona. Um, 17, ha- 17 and a half point home favorite for Arizona Wildcat. I couldn't even tell you the last time Arizona was a 17 and a half point favorite in a in an FBS game uh, or, or a power five game for sure. I, it's probably been a very long time, but as you say every week, there's, there's probably not any amount of points that are enough to take Colorado. I think Arizona's at home. They're going to want to make up for last week. This is the week that they certainly go over their two and a half win total projection from, from preseason and make everyone a lot of money. Uh, but I also like them to cover in this one, so I'm taking Arizona to cover the 17 and a half. Yeah, the uh, the performance against the Cal running game uh, gives you a little pause, but I don't know that this this Colorado offense could store, score on air. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and take Arizona to cover. I think the Arizona passing game uh, is such that they'll be able to get out on top of them early and maybe kind of force Colorado out of their run game, um, which is I think the better side of the ball for them. Uh, or better side of the offense, but th- it, I feel I just is there feel a bad. better side of their offense? I don't. I, <laughs> Mike Sanford just needs to never be allowed to coach a college offense ever again. And frankly, like if he went and coached at a high school and my kid was playing there, we would be transferring. So like I, I just I don't trust this Colorado offense to score the ten points that it's going to require to cover this spread, even if Colorado's defense comes out and has a really good game. You're up. All right, so we're going to head on down to the Coliseum where USC is hosting Arizona State. USC is a 26.5-point favorite at home. Uh, I'm taking USC. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. ASU, we, we talked about the possibility that they'd pack it in. Um, they have packed it in. They suck, and they're going to lose by a lot of points. USC is at home. They're going to score. Uh, they're going to want to score a lot after the offensive performance that they had a week ago. I, I'm taking USC in a blowout. They might cover this in the first half. Twenty-six and a half points is just a tremendous amount. It's it's so many points to take in a in a conference game. It's crazy, but I'm going to lay it. So I'm also taking the Trojans in this one. Arizona State, I mean, we all predicted that at some point this season they would pack it in. I didn't think it was going to happen in week two um, or three or whatever it did, but it did. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a disaster. I, I don't – who are they going to beat this year that's left on the schedule? Colorado, I guess? Uh, that is going to be a crazy game. <laughs> it's like <laughs> – <laughs> Who wants it less? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think at that point, Colorado's players are going to be actively losing to try to get Carl Durrell fired. Um, and Arizona State's players might still not care. So we we uh, we might have the first game of the season where two teams are actively trying to lose. Yeah, that that's going to be a wild one. i got to check and see what week that's in. Um, yeah, that, that's must-watch Pac-12 Network right there. Yeah, hopefully that's a – it's got to be a Pac-12 after. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that will be in in about a month. It's the uh, last weekend of October. So, yeah, a month, yeah. From, a month from today. Yogi Roth on a, on a where, where's the game? The game is at Colorado. Yeah. So on a okay. So here's the or let me paint a picture for you. You have Yogi Roth 
shilling for the Pac-12 on the Pac-12 network for a 7.30 kick in late October in a brisk boulder atmosphere with about 15 fans. Um, I, I am interested to see how many ways he can make it seem like these teams both don't suck. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching that, that game. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> poor Yogi. I mean, the amount of like of praise he's going to be heaping on players from both of these teams is going to just be must-watch TV. Yeah, we're going to have to try to find some kind of drinking game we can associate with that one. Yeah, I like it. All right, that gives us one more conference game uh, to tackle, and this is this is probably the game of the week in the conference. Um, uh, Washington, their first road trip of the year, uh, 4-0 Washington heads down to L.A. to the Rose Bowl to take on the also 4-0 UCLA Bruins in a battle of teams who, in my estimation, have not really either been tested yet this year. I, I think you look at the four games that Washington's played, and you look at the four games that UCLA's played, and there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of good competition on either one of those schedules. Um, Washington certainly performed extremely well, especially offensively against the who they have played. Um, UCLA has has struggled against South Alabama, but got a late victory and otherwise dominated as well. It's an interesting matchup because Washington's passing attack is obviously very good. UCLA's passing defense is suspect. Um, but UCLA, you know, has been able to run the ball very effectively uh, this year and under chip in general. And Washington's running defense has certainly not been good the last several years. And, and I'm not sure how good it is this year. Um, I think there's some there's some things I've seen in their run defense that makes me believe they are susceptible they are to to giving up some running, and UCLA is certainly going to attempt that. So I'm I'm really fascinated to see the matchups in this game, like UCLA's running game versus uh, Washington's run defense and Washington's passing game versus UCLA's passing defense. Uh, it's a three point spread in favor of Washington. I expect this game to be pretty high scoring. I think both teams are in the mid 30s at least, and I think Washington's going to win. And I think they're going to cover, but I think it's a shootout. Yeah, this is a game. So I think Washington wins. I think Washington wins by two scores. Uh, I'm less interested in the outcome or the final score of this game. Uh, I'm more interested to see the matchup between UCLA's run game and Washington's defensive front. Um, UCLA is, I think, I think they're completely out of scholarship interior defensive linemen now um, after wow. some in, after some injuries, and so. I, I would expect that Washington will be able to kind of do whatever they want offensively, and I think that I trust the Washington defense to get stops uh, more than I do the UCLA defense in this matchup. So despite the fact it's a road game in the Pac-12, it's their first road game, uh, their first time away from Husky Stadium this season, I'm taking UW. Uh, but I'm more interested to see how some of the matchups play out uh, for UCLA's offense against the Washington defense. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mentioned that before. I, that those matchups are really fascinating. I mean, I think they're going to tell tell me some things about you know how the next several weeks and the rest of the season might play out as we get down the stretch. Yeah, um, I'd be I'd be really in- interested to know like what uh what what points are odds makers giving the UCLA home crowd uh, <laughs> in, in this line because I don't I wouldn't be giving them any. What home crowd? Yeah, exactly. Like you, yeah, you have to travel. You have to fly down there. Uh, but it's going to be a neutral site game for all intents and purposes. It's going to be very, very empty. Um, and Washington fans will probably be just as plenty as UCLA fans. 
You ready to move on to some national games? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I've picked out uh, seven games for us this this week. Uh, there's actually probably to me, you know, one of the better slates of games we've had so far. Some some good matchups, uh, good top twenty five matchups, and some other good, interesting, intriguing ones. So I'm going to start in the Big Ten. We got Michigan traveling to Iowa, which is it, it presents an interesting matchup. You know, kind of strength on strength with offense defense. Michigan is a ten and a half point favorite on the road at Iowa. Who do you like? Like Michigan because I trust that they can offense uh, more than Iowa can, and I think this Michigan defense is actually better than it looked a week ago. Maryland has a lot of talent on the outside. They've got an experienced quarterback, a really experienced and talented offensive line, and a good back. I think that that Maryland offense is actually one of the more underrated offenses nationally. Uh, I I just don't think Iowa can score. Like this is, I feel like we're talking about Colorado, but the difference is that Iowa actually has like a top ten defense on the opposite side of the ball to keep this game close and kind of keep this line uh, within reason. But I just think that Michigan ultimately has enough explosiveness um, and enough quality on the offensive line to, to grind out some, grind out a couple of touchdown drives and put this game away uh, sometime in the mid third quarter. Yeah. I like Michigan as well. Uh, I think Michigan's offense is upgraded from last year. They upgraded their coordinator and they upgraded their quarterback. And I think they're, they're going to be able to score enough on Iowa and Iowa's offense is, is uh, an affront to modern college football. And I just don't think they're going to be able to keep pace either. So Michigan wins and covers for me. Perfect. So we will move on down to Oxford, Mississippi, where the rebels are hosting uh, the Kentucky wildcats. Ole Miss is favored by six and a half points. I'm taking Kentucky to cover this. I think this is just more of a matchup issue. Uh, the Ole Miss defense has not been great against the run. Also, structurally, they run a 3-2-6. Um, so they, they run a dime base package. So they're going to be really light. Uh, Kentucky is getting star running back uh, Hernandez back from suspension. I anticipate that he's going to get a lot of a lot of love in this game from a touches standpoint. I, I, I could see Ole Miss winning. I don't trust their offense particularly. But I think that this Kentucky... Um, I think that this Kentucky offense can can grind it out and play ball control, uh, and Kentucky is always sneaky good defensively under Stoops. Yeah, again, this is a battle of unbeaten's Kentucky. I think is ranked sixth or seventh in the country. Ole Miss is uh, right in there in the fourteen range, twelve to fourteen range. So uh, you know, obviously, whoever wins this will definitely be in the top ten, and and it'll drop back a little bit. But again, I don't think either one has been has been tested much yet this year. Uh, this is an interesting one to me. This is a game I'm really interested to see play out. I mean, could, Ole Miss certainly does not have the offensive firepower they did last year uh, by any stretch of the imagination, and and uh, yeah, I, I just don't I don't trust their defense much either. But you know what? I'll take Ole Miss. Um, I'll go out. We got to have some opposites here, so I'll, I'll go up. I was kind of a coin flip on this one since you took Kentucky. I'll go the other way and say Ole Miss. Uh, I don't know that they win, but I'll say they keep it within the six and a half. Kentucky's just not going to beat themselves and the composure they showed going on the road in week two and beating Florida in the, in the swamp, I think speaks really highly um, to this team and the fact that they've got a, lead, a, a elder statesman at quarterback and Will Levis. So uh, this is going to be a game that I'm actually really excited to watch because I think that Ole Miss might be the worst team other than Auburn in the SEC West. And I know that they're ranked really high and they're undefeated right now, but they have literally not played anybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that Kentucky is probably the third best team in the East. Um, so I think this is going to be a matchup that really 
tells us a lot about where both these teams stand in the SEC picture. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Let's move on to uh, Texas Tech and Kansas State. So this was interesting. Uh, they're both coming off huge wins last week. That's why I put this one on here. Texas Tech, of course, beat Texas. Kansas State beat Oklahoma. Um, and now they're playing each other. Kansas State, the Wildcats are hosting this game. They're a seven-and-a-half-point home favorite uh, against Tech. And, man, I'm just it's such an interesting game with both of them coming off such such huge emotional wins. How do they regroup from that? You know, a lot of times you see teams, you know, get that massive win and then really lay an egg the next week. Do, do one, of the, one of them lay an egg this week? Do they both lay an egg this week? Does neither one lay an egg? I don't know what's going to happen there. I think seven and a half is a lot. I kind of, I kind of think this game might be close. So I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Tech. Perfect. I want to take Kansas State. Um, I think that both these teams had kind of really big emotional wins and are primed for letdowns. Although I do like the fact that Kansas State's at home in this game. I like the fact that they are going to win with the run game and they're very balanced defensively. I, I just think that Kansas State is better defensively than Texas Tech is. Um, I think that. Tech's win is more one-off than Kansas State's. Oklahoma Definitely. didn't beat themselves. Oklahoma played a really, actually, pretty good game. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Kansas State to cover here. I think Adrian Martinez on the ground is going to be a, a big deal in this game. All right. Moving on, we've got Alabama going on the road to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas. Uh, Bama is favored by 17.5 points. Uh, this is the SEC West opener for Alabama after dismantling Vanderbilt a week ago. Uh, this is a really interesting matchup. I'm taking Bama to cover. I think Bama's, Bama's the way better team. And I also think the fact that they have a Heisman-winning quarterback going up against quite possibly I, – I mean, they're in, a, they're in a dogfight with Michigan State to have the worst Power 5 secondary. Um, getting Miles Slusher, a name that Oregon fans will be uh, – familiar with back from injury last week did help a little bit in the secondary for Arkansas, but I just ultimately think that this Alabama team is too balanced offensively um, for, for Arkansas to really stay in this in any meaningful way. Yep. Roll tide. I'm going with, with Bama as well. Um, next up, we've got another big 12 matchup. Um, Oklahoma state top 10, Oklahoma state going to Baylor to take on the bears and Waco. Baylor is a two-and-a-half-point home favorite against the Cowboys. Uh, Baylor's obviously got a really tough defense, especially on the ground game. Um, Oklahoma State has a much more dynamic offense, so it's kind of a little strength-on-strength matchup here. Um, I like the Cowboys. I just think they've got a lot more, a lot more to offer uh, from an offensive punch standpoint. I think you know Baylor will do enough to slow them down to keep their you know probably probably keep. Uh, Oklahoma State under their scoring average. I just don't know that Baylor can score enough. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State. We're going to we're going to differ again here. I'm going to go ahead and take Baylor minus the two and a half. I think that the Oklahoma State defense has looked better than it is. Uh, they haven't really been tested yet to this point. And Spencer Sanders has looked like a new man, but is he actually a new man, or has he just played against bad defenses? Um, I, I think this is where we see the old Spencer Sanders come back out. We see some turnovers. Uh, I, I trust Dave Aranda and Jeff Grimes to, to be able to game plan to win this game at home. Uh, give me Baylor minus the two and a half. I love um, it. I love we got all these opposite picks. One of us is going to, well, maybe we'll split them all. Who knows? But I love it. Moving on here, we have Wake Forest going on the road 
to Tallahassee to play Florida State, who was a seven-point favorite. Uh, I'm going to take Wake Forest. I think that Wake Forest was the better team against Clemson a week ago. Uh, I think that Sam Hartman is playing at a really, really high level. I really like this Florida State team, but I just don't know if I can trust them yet. And, And seven points seems just like too many. I could absolutely see Florida State winning this game at home, but I think this one comes down to a one-score game. Yeah, I do have Florida State winning, but I don't have them covering, so I'm also going with Wake. I think the seven points is just too much. I, I do think Florida State is is kind of back, uh, you know, which is nice to see for them, uh, their fans after such a, a down uh, several years. So, but yeah, Wake Wake was really good last week. They impressed me, and I think they're going to win this game. Also important to note, this is uh, Florida State's first week in the polls. Uh, Jordan Travis looked really good last week and was healthy. Uh, Interesting to see after the way he went down in that Louisville game where it really seemed like he was going to be out for a while. Uh, But he looked fully healthy, and he's playing really well and protecting the football. Uh, I think this really just comes down to can – can Florida State control the line of scrimmage and run the ball? They've been banged up on the offensive line – as we know from both the Willie Tiger years um, and and watching the Dillingham film this offseason, they they have not been particularly talented or, or, or good on the offensive line, so depth is a concern there. I, I just trust Wake Forest's offense um, to, to give them a shot to win this game and keep it close. All right, we got one more. I think I'm up. Uh, North Carolina State traveling to Clemson. Uh, Clemson a six-and-a-half-point home favorite against the Wolfpack. Again, I'm. This is one of the, another one of those games. I'm really excited to see how this one plays out this weekend because I mean, Clemson certainly offensively played much better last week against Wake than they had been previously. North Carolina State's been been obviously a good a good team all year, and I think their defense has been pretty good. So the matchups here are really interesting to me. Six and a half point home favorite for Clemson. I. I'm going to take the Tigers. I think they win by by at least a touchdown, but I think it's a it's a good game. Uh, weather could be crazy in this one. That's something that we should have brought up for the Wake Wake Forest Florida State game. It's going to be yeah. rainy with uh, Hurricane Ian sweeping through the southern United States right now, um, and very windy. I would assume so. Passing games and points could could be tough to come by. I like the Clemson front seven more than the NC State front seven. I like the fact that Clemson is playing this game at home and front of what I'm sure is going to be a very, very uh, ruckus crowd. and They're going to be ready to rock and roll. And I think that DJ might have had the light bulb come on a little bit last weekend, played the best ball he's played in a long time. Uh, give me give me Clemson at home to cover the six and a half and win this game. All right, there you go. There are our picks for this week, and uh, we will be, of course, reviewing them um, on Monday morning along with uh, reviewing the Oregon game and the rest of the rest of the games from around the nation. So hopefully we both have a bounce back from our not so great uh, weeks last week. Uh, one more segment to go today, QB. We've got a number of listener questions. This is something we've done once or twice before, and I think it's been really fun, and I'm really excited to bring this segment back. Are you ready? Yeah, let's get into them. All right. So we've got, I've got more, I got about 10 or 12 questions, but I've grouped them into like seven because there's some similarities that I just kind of all put together. So I'll fire those off in groups. Uh, so the first one, the three different listeners asked a similar question. I'll, I'll, I'll throw them all out, and then you can talk to it. Uh, so James Sadagian writes, I have a nightmare about us, about us trying to defend Stanford's tall tight ends and wide receivers, especially after last year. What do you think landing scheme will do with our personnel to try and defend against this? 
Uh, Dale Newton writes, Stanford has killed Oregon for years with scuds to tall receivers, but with 6'3", Triquez Bridges, 6'2", Christian Gonzalez, and 6'5", Brian Addison, at least the Ducks have a flying chance. I guess that's really not a question. Uh, and then also, YFC450 Duck writes, does the trees out wide preferred get pass interference, pass interference calls for the win, or are we able to overcome both the team and the referees again this week? So that last one's really loaded because I think we're due to have Pac-12 refs actually on our side um, because last week they were just horrendous across the board. I mean, how many apologies did they have to issue early this week for calls during the, the Washington State game? Uh, but overall, I think this is a matchup that's a lot more winnable for Oregon than maybe it's been in the past. We've had some smaller, scrappy defensive backs put up uh, inspiring efforts against Stanford's big receivers. I think that this group, from a skill set standpoint, though, is actually built to really match up well. I don't worry at all about Christian Gonzalez. We saw what happened when BYU tried to go to their tight end on the short side of the field and it kind of a jump ball situation. He's always going to be in phase. He's strong. He's long. He's twitchy. Uh, Bridges has extraordinary length for, for his size. My, my question is more, are we gonna, is this a game where we try to get to McKee and send pressure? Um, or, or are we going to sit back and play coverage? Because I've been really pleased with the way that, that we've matched up really across the board in the secondary, um, outside of a, a few plays here and there this year. I, I don't know. I, I think that this is a good matchup for Oregon. I think this is a winnable matchup, and I think that our length uh, pays dividends this week. Yeah, I agree. I think our length in the secondary that we finally have is certainly much better. One thing I noted in the rewatch of the Washington State game is it didn't seem, I didn't chart it, but it, just watching it felt to me like we didn't do a lot of blitzing. Um, you know, we, we were bringing three and four guys, and and sometimes we were getting getting pressure on, especially in the second half, on, on Cam Ward, and, and other times we weren't, but even when, or he was able to kind of run around back there for quite a while, but even then, the coverage downfield was really good uh, for for extended periods of time, and so I, I was impressed by that, and I think I think, like you said, the the receivers that and tight ends that this group will be going up against this week aren't nearly as slippery as some of the Washington State guys. So I, I do think this is a, a much better matchup for Oregon uh, than it has been in year pa- years past in the secondary on those wideouts and tight ends. So uh, you know, I think we covered all the reasons, you know, all the things to watch for in this game, and this is an area that I don't have great concerns about. I'm not. I guess the the kind of question we've had is like who who is who are the offensive coordinators going to be able to get matched up on triquest bridges and can he carry them vertically this season and they've got some players that i really like i like higgins um i like williams i like tremaine but i don't i'm not really worried about any of them running away uh running away from bridges and and our coverage on the outside yeah and, and and honestly i mean bridges you know there's been a lot said about him he hasn't really been beat deep much you know it's been a lot of like big cushions right so access plays getting a free seven free easy first down conversion on a third and third and eight third and nine kind of play and some you know some some underneath stuff i i don't recall him really getting beat over the top too much yet this year which i guess that's a trade you'll take if you know if you have to take one well that's one thing to watch too because bridges has been erring towards keeping things in front and i would be really interested to see him kind of come up and press and kind of contest and deny ball a little bit more in this game Um, because situationally especially like McKee has the arm talent to make the far hash to sideline throw 
Um, so you can't allow free access on third and eight or third and seven because he will make that throw. So like, I think it's important for corners on either side of the field um, to make sure that they're, they keep good relationship and deny the ball in those situations because he has the arm talent to really to do that, which is not something that you have to worry about every single week. All right, let's move on to the next question. Next set of questions. Uh, Chad Medeiros writes, why isn't Swinson playing much? Also, is Sewell injured? Along with that, Thug Life Tosh says, if my two minutes of research served me well, it seems that Braden Swinson has only recorded three tackles all season. Is the lack of production due to scheme? Is he not panning out the way many predicted? What say you? We could really use some more pass rush right about now. And Quack Mihoff says, my biggest question is where did Noah Sewell go? He was all over the place last year. It seems like he's a non-factor in many plays and not even in position to make a play sometimes. Is this due to a learning and new scheme or the coaches using him differently than the last staff? Well, two personnel-based questions. I think let's start with Swinson. Uh, yep. I think he's the one that's easiest to address. Um, I think it's really a question of his reliability in the run game right now. Uh, he's still pretty light. I don't know. They clearly trust Johnson and, and Funa more um, in balanced run run pass downs. Uh, when Whenever it's very clear pass down situations, though, they've been working Swinson into that rotation. And I think he's looked like our best pass rusher. He hasn't gotten home. Again, there's been a lot of circumstantial stuff that stopped him from getting home. But he's he's been beating the tackles very consistently when he gets run. I, I think that as the year goes on, Hopefully he can continue to improve against the run and, and work more into the rotation. But starting off this week with no DJ Johnson available in the first half, he's going to have to play. Um, so really looking forward to seeing him get the opportunity against some tackles that he's going to have an athletic advantage against in the pass rush. Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak speak to – I'm not at practice, so I can't speak to why he's not not getting a lot of run. I think you know you've answered that well. And I am also looking forward to seeing. This is the type of game where it feels like an obvious passing situations that maybe he could be an asset. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But I definitely would write him off. You got to remember, he was a true freshman during the COVID year. Uh, a true freshman again last year. He's only a sophomore. I think he's probably a year away from being a, like a really good player. But I think he's going to give us good reps as we as we start to work down the stretch of the season. Um, especially in passing situations against against teams where um, we're not worried about them trying to run the ball in third long situations. As we move uh, over to the Sewell part of the question, you know, I'll I'll just start here first by saying it's my belief he is not he's not completely healthy. Um, I saw him after the game at, in Pullman, um, and at times during the game on the sideline, he's. He's got a noticeable limp when he's walking around on the sideline. Um, so I don't know what's going on with him. He's obviously healthy enough to play, but I'm wondering wh- how much of a factor that may be in in some of what we're seeing on the field. So I think uh, my answer to this question is two parts. I think it kind of feeds into what you're seeing too. I heard he did not practice hardly at all during fall camp uh, because of some some lingering injuries. He very, very obviously isn't fully healthy right now. I also think that he's not fully comfortable with the system yet. I think that's a byproduct of not practicing a lot during fall camp, of playing limited reps so far this season due to injury. Um, I hope that they can get him healthy here sooner than later uh, because I think people are writing him off and aren't being really fair to him. 
because they're not reporting whatever injury he does have, um, and they're not giving that consideration. So he's a warrior. I yeah, mean, he's battling right now. And that, so I, that dude's gonna go out there and play with one leg. And I think yeah, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, so I don't I don't think that he's been bad. I think you have to kind of grade on a curve given the fact that he's clearly not healthy. We we have had, we have good intel that says he didn't practice much during camp. Um, I'm I'm giving all these linebackers runway to learn a far more complex scheme. I, I think that we won't see their best ball till week set, six through twelve. All right. Uh, moving on to the next question, the last two parter we have. Um, so James Sadigan, he, James Sadigan sent in four questions. So uh, thank you, James, for being such a great listener. Um, these two would go hand in hand as well. We haven't allowed a sack so far. Is this because of Bo Nix handling the offense well? Is it just a function of a veteran O-line, or has the coaching scheme changed significantly with Clem? And then the second part of that question from KC Grillmaster McCarthy. What is Clem most proud of about the O-line play, pass blocking or run blocking? Okay, well, let's start with the sacks. I think I think there's four contributing factors to why that why our pass protection has been so good. One, the offensive line's really good. Uh, I think that Coach Clem has done a really, really good job on a week-to-week basis of setting the protection rules, um, and I think that both Forsyth uh, and Knicks are on the same page. Um, I think that our backs have done a really, really good job in pass protection. They're not the biggest guys in the world, but they're giving good effort. Um, and and in all of our mass prote- and our max protect shot plays, uh, both the, the tight ends and the backs have been really key contributors. Have been very consistent um, in in those parts of protection. Um, I think that because of our balance offensively and the fact that we're not really facing a lot of super third and long situations, and when we do, it's like third and seven, but we're in four down territory, so we can still run the ball. We've been able to keep teams out of really obvious pin your ears back rush situations, uh, which I think has been a key. I think that's a that's a tribute to great play calling, a really balanced scheme, um, and the ability to keep teams on their heels and, and kind of dictate to the defense as opposed to allowing them to really pin their ears back and bring a lot of pressure. Um, and then the fourth piece of that is Bo's legs. I think Bo has done a really good job of avoiding pressure, of getting the ball out on time, but also being able to scramble and, and pick up first downs with his feet, again, which contributes to us staying out of long down and distant situations and staying out of the chains, uh, but also escaping sometimes where maybe a, there's, there is a mistake or a miscommunication by the offensive line uh, in pass protection, but he just bypasses that, that error with his own athletic ability. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you nailed it all. The one thing I'd add, you know, just on the offensive line side is it feels to me like they have been much better this year at picking up kind of the stunts and games and twists and things that they really struggled with at times last year. So I think that's been has definitely been a factor as well as all the things you said. Yeah, I agree. I think that they've been, they've been, I, it's a factor. I think that's a mixture of experience, right? When you have a bunch of guys that have played a lot of snaps together and continuity um, with most of these guys having played multiple years together. Uh, but also just, I think that's a credit to coach Clem and getting these guys ready and, and them kind of having seen th- seen a lot of different stunts and pressures themselves throughout camp going up against our defense and good on good situations. Yeah, the second part of that question about whether you know, Coach Clem is most, most proud of the pass blocking and the run blocking, I, I certainly can't speak for Coach Clem, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say both. 
Yeah, I don't know that he would be disappointed in either. I mean, keeping your quarterback clean is ultimately the probably the thing that you measure your offensive line on the most. Not giving up a sack through four games when you're playing some pretty aggressive and unique defenses, and then also probably the best defense in the country with Georgia. Um, that's 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 an impressive feat, and uh, I don't think that even during the Georgia game, our offensive line looked outmatched. So I would I would probably lean pass pro, but I'm not Coach Clem. I have no idea what he thinks. I'm sure he's been very pleased uh, with the performance and the depth along that group so far this season across the board. All right, moving on. Uh, the grill master Casey McCarthy has a second question. I try to make I try to pay more attention to the performance of Sewell Flow and Bassa during reps, but my eyes are often getting drawn elsewhere during the play. What are you seeing in the quality level? of their performances. We talked a little bit about Sewell, so maybe touch on Flo and Bassa. Yeah, well, Flo, we have a, obviously a much more limited sample size. I don't think he was particularly great against Georgia, just assignment-based. Um, but, I mean, seeing him make a really key stop on that first down play on the last drive of the Washington, or the, yeah. I, I guess it's their second-to-last drive, but the three-and-out three drive, like, that was that was big. Like, he, he read it. He was quick through, and he finished the tackle with good physicality. I think that flow is really going to come alive as he gets more reps under his belt and the season goes on. Um, I, we talked about this on one of our recap podcasts a little bit. He is, for all, like he's basically a true freshman. He's played, prior to this season, he played 30 snaps basically against Fresno State. And that was it. And so... All of these snaps he's playing right now in this new system are basically his first snaps at college football. I think with a guy of his talent level and his instincts, his growth curve is going to be really steep, and we're just going to see him continue to get better and better and better at a really fast rate every week. Yeah, and that play was a perfect example of like what what you know his ceiling looks like, right? When he can just act instinctually. And not without thinking, you know, and it's just like it's coming naturally and it's coming fast and he's processing so quickly. Like the way he was able to just diagnose that play, shoot in there and make and make that tackle, you know, you know, and finish the play like that. That's like, OK, that's that's the five star. Yeah. And there was a lot of reports coming out of fall camp that he was our best player, like just in general. Um, and so I think that the more reps he gets, the more comfortable he gets, the more impactful he will be as we get deeper into the season and kind of switching over to boss. I personally watching the Washington state film. I think this is probably his worst tape of the year. I think there was a lot of missed opportunities early in that game, some poor tackling in space, but even he made some really nice tackles. Uh, the second down play of that same drive, the three and out drive was him on the edge, really showing his sideline to sideline speed to get out there and tackle somebody in space um, and really not give any yardage back and keep them in third and long. I, I'm really pleased with Bassa overall this season. I think that there's obviously some stuff that all of these guys need to improve on. Um, and and last week, I think Bassa was probably his worst tackling game. But overall, you have to be happy with where he's at, considering that he's a, he's a true sophomore, um, really playing the position and, and playing a, a tough position in this new, new defense. Uh, again, that has a pretty steep learning curve. So, um, I, I'm happy with the group overall. I think that's a group that has the talent. I don't think that there's a, I don't think we're missing the pieces to be good at linebacker right now. I think it's just a matter of continuing to give those guys reps and get them comfortable. 
Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning, you know, LaDuc and Keith Brown have both had their moments this season as well. So there's, a, you know, a lot of depth on that unit that that is all, you know, playable depth as well. And I, I think Bassa had a great game against BYU. And, and even in the Washington State game, like you said, the problem was mostly missed tackles. He's in the right place, right? So that's the first thing. If you're in the right place to make the play, then it's just a matter of finishing. If you're in the wrong place, it's a whole different problem altogether. Yeah, I'm not worried about Bassa or Flo or Sewell. I, we just need to get Sewell healthy and continue to get the, all three of them reps because I think they're going to be good players. All right, two more questions. Uh, these are not related, so I'll hit them one at a time. Um, again, going back to James. Thank you, James. I know you've said in the past during film review that you're definitely not a special teams guru, but if there are thing are there things you have noticed that we do on special team coverages that are different this year? It seems like we are much more sound in that phase than last year. Uh, I mean, I'll start. I'll say, first of all, on kickoffs, we're kicking the ball out of the end zone every time. So it's a lot easier to cover a kickoff when you don't have to cover the kickoff. Yeah, you stole the only, like, halfway intelligent thing I have to say about special teams. I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go to punts then next. Um, the reason why we've been covering punts so well is because their punts are so short. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's an area where they'd like to see some improvement. I also think we have good gunners uh, who can get we down do. there. But, uh, we do. Yeah, I agree. I think they'd like to see longer punts, more airtime, uh, maybe some better field position stuff. Um, I've noticed that there's more variety of different kickoff formations and stuff. I've, I'm assuming that's intentional, that they're looking for certain looks and setting up for things throughout the season. Uh, but I would have no idea what those are. Yeah, on the flip side, on special teams, I, I haven't been, haven't really noticed anything great on either of our return teams. Obviously, kick returns these days, you know, you don't get a lot of opportunities anymore. Um, the one we had the last game was one that should never have been brought out of the end zone uh, in the first place, and, and it didn't go anywhere. Because, you know, if you take something out from seven yards back, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, I've been pretty disappointed with Seven McGee's decision-making, as both in punts and, and kickoffs. That one was bad. Um, and then also he he fielded a punt inside the ten. Uh, thankfully, I think it was inside the five. It was like yeah. at the four yard line. Yeah. Thankfully, we ended up getting a second run at it um, because of that whole like windback situation. But still, like heels at ten, anything inside the ten, you just let it hit the ground. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I think there there's work that needs to be done on the return side, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, final question. Thought this was a good one to end on. Again, thanks to to James Sadagian for this one. I cannot tell if UW is for real. They have looked scary good, albeit only at home and against mediocre competition. They faced their first true test at UCLA this weekend. What are your thoughts on the matchup, and how will Chip try to attack this new-look Husky team? I mean, I think we, we talked a bit about our thoughts on the matchup and the outcome, but maybe maybe expand on that last bit. How do you think Chip will try to attack them? I I think that Chip's going to test their interior. I mean, if there's anything we know about Chip, is he likes to run the ball. He's going to have a lot of variety. That like in terms of offense of quality from both a talent standpoint and a and a quality of play calling and um, inventory standpoint, this is going to be the best offense that uh, Washington has seen by a pretty wide margin. I don't think that UCLA is going to win this game just because they they're a pretty they're a pretty aggressive half team. I don't think their defense is any good at all. And I think that Washington's offense is more than good enough to take advantage of that. 
Um, and I think that it's going to be tough to evaluate Washington a lot this year just based on their schedule. Like, they miss the two best teams in the South. They don't play either Utah or USC. Um, they play UCLA this weekend, so I guess that'll be kind of the best look we get. And in the North, like, they don't play us until really, really late. So um, they're going to be a tough team to evaluate. I think this is going to be a really important data point that we'll we'll look at to try to extrapolate and project forward. Uh, but I, I do think that they're a good team. I think that they're legitimately – I think they're probably a top-two team in the North with us, and I think they're a top-four team in the conference uh, with us and Utah and USC. And so uh, just as – it's weird. The Pac-12 is, is as good as it's been recently, but it's still kind of top-heavy. Um, I'm not sure at any point this season – until they play Oregon, we're going to have a great idea of where certain aspects of this Washington team are at. Yeah, uh, their their schedule, the middle and and back half of their schedule set up similarly to similar similarly to Oregon's. The middle of the schedule is kind of soft, and then there's a lot of the, or whatever quality is on their schedule is toward the back of it. But unlike Oregon, they didn't have the upfront testing um, that I think Oregon has seen so far. I mean, you know, they have UCLA this week, then they have Arizona State, then Arizona, then Cal than Oregon State. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure we're going to learn some things along the way. We'll learn a little bit about their run defense this week. We should learn some things about them, you know, in the Cal game and maybe that Beaver game as well. But it's it's really quite uh, quite astonishing um, how soft their schedule is uh, overall this year. It, it's funny because, you know, the, this is such a great year for the pack. And I do agree that Washington, you know, I think everyone came into this season saying it's a three horse race for the conference and Washington has firmly inserted themselves into that. And it's a four horse race and they deserve that, um, that recognition because they've been very impressive, especially offensively and especially in the past game led by Michael Penix. Um, and it's almost, it's almost like the fact that, like the Pac-12 is like both benefiting and suffering from the fact that so many of their top teams are not playing each other this year. Oregon doesn't play USC. Washington doesn't play either Utah or USC. And there's three quality matchups that A, could have been really good draws on national TV that really would have given the conference a lot of eyeballs that it desperately needs. But on the flip side of that, that also means there's three more losses among the top four teams that now you know maybe don't have to happen. So it's kind of it's kind of good and bad um, for, from a conference standpoint, but it is really interesting. And and as you watch the season play out, you know, will will the scheduling benefits that both Washington and USC have play a factor in who makes it to Vegas or not? Well, it's kind of interesting because if Utah takes care of business against USC and Oregon beats Washington, like the Oregon Utah game could largely be meaningless. Or one, or the loser could get knocked out in favor of one of those other two teams that didn't have to play, you know, to play that extra tough I game. Mean, yeah, assuming that the only loss, like, you at that point you'd be assuming that, like, Oregon yeah. would be, Oregon or you, one of you, Utah Oregon, would be undefeated in conference play. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, and as we get further down the stretch, I'll, I'll definitely be gaming all this stuff out because I love to do that. But there's just too much, too many variables at this point in one, one game into the conference season. But I, I just think there's such a clear delineation between the top, middle, and bottom of the conference right now. Oh, yeah. And I don't know how many upsets we're going to see. I'm sure we'll see a couple. Um, I don't think that all of USC, Oregon, Washington – uh, and Utah are going to go unbeaten other than in games against each other. 
but it's hard to project where those losses and those stumbles are going to be. Like, again, I'm still really worried about that game for Oregon uh, down in Tucson here in a couple weeks. Um, but if you can get to that game and get through that game undefeated going into the bye week, you got to feel pretty good. Yeah, I think that's got to be, you know, kind of putting a bow on this on this episode. I think that's got to be the goal for Oregon right now, right? Win at home against Stanford, go to the desert, win, hit that bye week, you know, get some get some defensive adjustments put in, get some players healthy, and then, you know, come out firing uh, after that one. And I think that the schedule, even after the bye week, you know, sets up pretty well in those first couple weeks back. I agree. All right, QB. Any more thoughts before we call this one good? I think we're uh, I think we're good. Excellent. So I would like to thank everybody for listening. Um, I'm Andrew QB11. You can find me on Twitter at QB11SD. Uh, he's Doug Scott. You can find him on Twitter at Doug Scott. Uh, we really appreciate all your support. Keep the people of uh, Florida down there in the Panhandle in your prayers this weekend. Um, going to be kind of a crazy 72 hours with a really crazy tropical storm pushing its way through that area. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys on Monday morning with your kind of morning, t- morning commute and, and recap of hopefully another win for the Oregon ducks against the Stanford Cardinal. Take care everyone.